and welcome to this episode of Stories of Strange Women. We're your hosts. I'm Tanya Hurley. And I'm Tracy Hurley-Martin. And today we welcome evangelical, self-proclaimed evangelical, Lydia Lunch. Um, and wow. <laughs> and it was perfect timing to talk to Lydia Lunch. Yeah, I didn't know how much I needed to hear her voice until we just started talking. It was the day after the Golden Globes. Yeah, and she got into everything. Like uh, she has been getting into for four decades. Right. She has been... I, I, I told her I learned the word patriarchy from her mm-hmm. in, in the 80s in high school. I've never heard that word before. And she's been screaming from the rooftop. Shouting it. Yeah. Warning. Warning. warning <laughs> alerting warning. all of us. Yeah. For so long. Even from her... I mean, her work in the No, no Wave movement um, was basically based around that whole notion mm-hmm. it's all based around yeah. trauma and mm-hmm. sexual violence and sexual empowerment mm-hmm. um and personal psychological warfare right. um whatever that is for you um and she's been bringing it to you know the pages and to the stage so so loud and yeah. proud about it yeah um she, she and she called all of this she called the this whole upheaval of you know the patriarchy mm-hmm. and you know the me too movement and all this she and was calling for an upheaval in 78 yeah. right i mean she was She's demanding the it no stage. wave nostradamus she yeah. saw all of it coming mm-hmm. um and we were so lucky to to chat with her she's about, a true legend about her work she has a show coming up at, on Monday, yeah, at, the, at city. the city winery, and, and she is then off to Europe. I mean, she's constantly working or publishing photographs or um, writing. I mean, it's constant. She's pro- yeah. so she's the most prolific person I've ever met. Yeah, we get into that too in yeah. the interview. But she has a lot to say. She has a lot to say and, on everything. Yeah, and 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 I love her whole do-it-yourself-or-die movement mm-hmm. that she's been preaching about. And, you know, because she she wrote books, but she couldn't find a publisher. She published them herself. Mm-hmm. She had music. She couldn't find a record company. She put them out herself. Mm-hmm. It's she's She, she doesn't finds, let anything stop her. No, no, she doesn't. She finds work wherever she is, mm-hmm. and she um, controls it. Yeah, she controls all of her and owns all of her work. I think that is like a very Important. interesting line in, in, in everything she does is, mm-hmm. is her assertion of control. Yeah, anyway, we have a lot to learn from this woman, mm-hmm. everyone out there. So she has a website. Yeah, it's lydialunch.bandcamp.com. And then she... she Please has- check it out. Buy, buy her tracks. Um, put some money in her pocket because if anyone deserves it, it's her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Without further ado, the one and only Lydia Lunch. Uh, Lydia, thank you for joining us. Glad that we're neighbors. <laughs> yes. neighbors. Isn't that cool? And that Ava's our neighbor as well. That's yes. amazing. Shout out to All Ava. In Park Slope. I, can't I just it. moved here a year ago. I had, you know, I left New York for good in 1990, and uh, the last four years. I was a nomad. I was just tramping around because I didn't know where I wanted to live. I was living in Spain for eight years before that. And um, I was at the Roxy Hotel doing a residency where they were housing me and feeding me and doing two shows a month. And I was sitting there at one point going, I've got to get out of here. And somebody heard me and it was a real estate agent. And they told me about a place that had a 102-year-old landlady and it's four blocks away. And by fluke and by witchery, I got it. Wow. I had to do a lot of white magic on that one. Yeah. yeah. Are you happy to be back Oh, in New York? well, I'm happy to be there. I'm happy to be in Park Slope. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You're synonymous with New York City. Well, so. I mean, even though, you know, I was only here from 76 to 79 and 84 to 90. That's, see, that, I, left I my can't mark. believe that. Yeah. I've lived in a lot of places, and this was my conundrum when I was done with Spain, because eight years was the longest I've ever lived anywhere. I mean, I've lived... You know, after New York, I went to New Orleans, then I went to San Francisco, then to Pittsburgh, until I literally making a pentagram. I can't believe you went to Pittsburgh. I love Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Oh, I, I was there for four years. I loved it. Really? I lived uh, in what Observatory years? Park, Observatory Hill. Hmm. Um, I think that was about, let's see, maybe 92 to 96. Do you know the here. electric banana there? I don't. Yeah. Uh, but I just played Pittsburgh recently, and I'm doing it again in May. Uh 
I did it with you know with retrovirus. So I loved Pittsburgh. I was yeah. there for four years. I mean, I had a big apartment. I was in a park. I was across my convent and next to an outpatient home. So, <laughs> so where love. you belong. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you very much. Exactly. <laughs> Between religion and insanity yeah. lies. Lydia Lund. <laughs> exactly. The opposition of both effects. Um, so we were talking about the Golden Globes last night. We watched the Golden Globes and... It's great that you're here today because oh. we learn. I mean, we learn the word patriarchy from you yeah. in your work. I mean, that's the first time I heard that word. Well, if we want to go back to my performance, "The Gun Is Loaded," which I think was 1982 or four, I'm not sure, which starts, it's all about getting fucked, fucked up, fucked over, fucked around with, or just good old-fashioned fucked. And you guessed it if you said the biggest dick of all was some octogenarian asshole who gets off on fucking the entire fucking planet. Are we not back there again? Hello. Yeah. Enough said. My first spoken word piece was Daddy Dearest. So I'm, I have a bit of an issue with, look, people need to speak out. This needs to be addressed. What I don't like is the movement started by a woman of color, co-opted by Hollywood harlots, who, by the way, what is, an a, what is, they're not actresses, they're celebrities. What is a Hollywood star? But a prostitute to profit the corporation, the pimp that they work for, who doll themselves up to unfathomable excess, with or without surgery and stylist and makeup artist to, to create an image that nobody else can live up to while they mouth somebody else's words pretending they're somebody else. What is a fucking prostitute? Now, excuse me. I gave hand jobs to take my first band to Europe. Somebody wants to pay me $100,000 to not talk about fucking them? I don't think that's a bad deal. I always thought that pussy has a high price on it. Yeah. It's just what you can barter. And let's go even further with this. I will be talking about this at the City Winery. I blame it on the mothers. I know you know I've blamed fathers my entire life in the patriarchy. God the father, my father, the father of the country. If women don't teach their children by five, first of all, one of my big complaints has always been the sexual segregation of children. Act like a man, don't cry, be tough, don't show your emotions, smile, be pretty, be nice. Fuck you. Mothers at the age of five, little girls have got to be taught. Somebody touches you and you don't like them, you punch them in the fucking nuts. You scream your fucking head off. Mm -hmm. You run out of the room, okay? Mm -hmm. And boys have got to be taught respect. So I'm blaming the mothers for once in my life, okay? Because it's got to start there. Excuse me. There is a big difference between if you're three or five years old and somebody in your family is coming into your bedroom on a nightly basis to really molest you. And when you're 20 years old and you don't know that if you see a bear naked in a cage, you don't go into that cage? Excuse me, I never saw a dick I couldn't crack. Somebody wants to grab my pussy, I'm gonna grab their fucking nuts and twist. It's that simple. That yeah. ends a fucking hard cock in a minute. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not blaming the victims, I'm blaming the mothers of the victims for not teaching them self-defense. How long have I been saying that women should be armed? This is not a new problem. Ever since we lost the world in the Bronze Age when we were making weapons, where we were making jewelry and then they started making weapons and the warriors, that is the women, lost the planet, this situation has gone on. And bigger than that situation, and America is always obsessed with sex, and look, Everybody, why did it take 100 women 20 years? This is my other issue. What the fuck? Yeah. Why did they all go into his office and go, get naked, bitch? Yeah. You're next. Hashtag you're next. <laughs> they could have cracked a dick. It would have turned into an eggplant and a fucking story. Wouldn't have done that again. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, I, I'm going to admit, as, as, a, as somebody that was molested by family members, I never had any shame, and I don't know why. And I know shame is a heavy burden for people to bear, especially men that are abused. But the bigger issue, too, is these are all women that should have known better. You don't go into a room with a bear, with a monster, with an asshole. And not only go in, some of them went in again and again. And I'm sorry, your pussy is worth more than $100,000, bitch. What the fuck are you talking about? How much shame can you have when you know you got that payoff? I don't get it. I don't fucking get it. Mm -hmm. But I never had shame. And I don't know why, because most, I guess, this is just 
as a child to realize this is wrong, but it doesn't start here with my father. I realized at a very early age, this is a familial tradition. This goes on. Mm-hmm. From the age of nine, I knew. I was, and that's why my first spoken word piece was Daddy Dearest. I, I wasn't the, my situation wasn't the worst. My father just couldn't control his hands. Hence, I'm sitting on mine half the time. I admit it, why is my book called The Predator's Diary? I took a different route than most people, and I don't know shame. I've had to read articles on shame because this is American condition. Because uh-huh. once again, sex is more horrifying than violence. We are killing on a level that has never been experienced before. He grabbed my tit. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. How about hashtag get a grip? Yeah, yeah. And it's white women of privilege. I mean, okay, glad that you are making the statement. Yeah. I'm going to say what I said when we walked. We've been bare, wearing black for 40 years. I am mourning the death of intelligence. Yeah. When it's all too what, what women are saying that's sexual assault. It's well, like he looked at me a certain way and it's hashtag you know what? me I'm too. Sorry. If somebody and... doesn't want to grab my tits, I'm kind of insulted. Because they're only fucking tits. Get over it. They're fucking tits. I don't get it. My ass? Honey, you need two hands to grab that. And you know what? I don't want you to grab my pussy. I will grab your fucking nuts and twist. That's it. And you know what? I mean, learn some self and verbal defense. Funny, I've never had any sexual harassment outside of my own home. Maybe people just look at me and know, not going to fuck with that bitch. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I mean, but coming from, I mean, you, you, at nine years old... When you're nine and you're molested by your father. Well, it started at three. But it wasn't violent. But it still is yeah. molestation. It's still right. stealing your sleep. It's, it's incomprehensible what it does because it feels good and you know it's bad. Yeah. So then you become a pervert like I have. Yeah. But since I never had, I never, I guess because at six when consciousness hit me, don't ask, six consciousness hit me where... I just realized, wait a minute. But at nine, I was conscious enough to go, stop this shit. Mm-hmm. And also, you did. Yeah, yeah, and also figure out that it didn't start there. And I stopped because I saw my father's brother doing the same thing. And I realized, wait a minute. And this is part of the horror that women or men who have been abused have is, is, is they feel alone. And this is why this movement is actually good because it's showing people they are not alone. But yeah. the spectrum is what bothers me. Mm-hmm. It's like... Sorry, uh, a dog shits in a corner. Do you, do you take the dog back to the pound? I don't know. I mean... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean... How, just because you want a utopian world where everything is equal and everybody's treated with respect, it doesn't exist yet. So get a grip on it and realize, first of all, you're dealing with one of the most uh, lecherous corporate pimps in the world, which is Hollywood, which exports what? Young, beautiful women dressed in skimpy costumes, mm-hmm. playing victim, and then they complain when they're actually playing the, becoming the victim. Victimized, yeah. And, and, and what, what, what are they anyway but a commodity? Again, selling what? Selling movies, whether they're selling toothpaste or cars or whatever. So, I mean, take some responsibility personal. And I mean, it's, I haven't gone until next Monday public because... I have a very uh, aggressive opinion about this. And I'm not victim-blaming. I'm mother of the victim-blaming. And, that, you know, by 20, you should know better. Mm-hmm. What year were you born? Mm-hmm. Please. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If you really want that career and you want to be a high-class call girl, then you might have to just suck a dick or two. And you don't want to? You leave the fucking room. You know what? Let's go to Louis C.K. for a minute. You know, I did a stalking video to Louis C.K. three years ago. Or I asked Louis C.K. if he wouldn't like me to send it to you so you can know yeah, what I'm talking yeah, yeah. about. Yeah. We'll see if we can find it on, okay. on Vimeo now. Okay. I did some stalking videos, Vincent D'Onofrio, various others. And I posted it three years ago. And it was inviting Louis C.K. to like, maybe he should do himself and I'll do myself. But I didn't realize that's what he was doing. But I'm sorry. If a man asks you if he can jerk off and it's his fucking dick, you say yes or no. Yeah. It's his dick. I'm like, go ahead and do it. And while you're at it, maybe you should do me. I don't see what the big deal is. He asked. And he apologized. And what has he been talking about the whole time? So then when I, you know, because my videos up, people are like, I'm like, no, this is three years old. Get a grip. That would be on your own dick and jerk it yeah. off all you want. If people would only listen to you yeah. in 78, <laughs> if 
they started listening to you. Oh, well, you did. So there we go. Yeah. Now we're neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that right. worked out. That's right. But so, you know. But you also saw when you were young, you saw the, um, you know, the pathetic person um, trying to, attacking you. It wasn't like there was, you had all fight in you. And you saw how pathetic. <laughs> well, oh, and you, yeah, you saw how pathetic the person, the perpetrator was. Well, exactly. And I, I mean, I guess maybe it's my arrogance, but I always knew the power that pussy had. It's how you fuck. Either you use it, or it's here. It's gonna be might be abused by. But somebody. how did you know that for so like at such a young age? Turning tricks on the streets in New York City, honey. I realized real fast. At what fourteen? No, I was probably seventeen or eighteen. Okay. But I mean, it was my choice. Right. Because right. I didn't want to work eight, nine to five. That was your power. Right? And also, I I chose my marks. And didn't play it off as something else, right? No, and also. Look, I thought I was doing a service to men who had jobs and had a family that were unsatisfied and just needed a little relief. Yeah. Looking for my lighter. But so, I mean, you know, get back on the mic with this. For me, I owned what I did, and I had a goal in mind, which was to take my band to Europe. And if that means giving hand jobs under the table, to me, it was there. no biggie. And I thought it was. It was a service rendered at a price I set for a job well done. Mm-hmm. And nobody lost. Yeah, right. Nobody lost. Why is service bad? Hurt? No, no. And I, said, well, I, was, I don't, I just, yeah. I just didn't think it was a bad thing to do. I just thought they have a need. I can satisfy it quickly and I'm not working eight hours a day. Yeah. I'm just not going to do it. I got shit to do. Yeah. I got art to create. Yeah, so it was like your, your, Part-time job. Well, and also, I mean, I, I was able to just, I have to, just to get in and out of it because I had a goal in mind. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't a victim of the system. And it was only when necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's a different situation that women, that women who might have two kids and are forced into something they really don't want to do. I mean, I actually looked at it as, as a valuable service like the sacred prostitutes, like the oldest, why is it called the oldest profession in the world? Mm-hmm. You know, my name Lydia is a country buried under 40 feet of sandstone in Turkey. And there all the women ran brothels and they invented one of the first gold coins. Why? Because they knew that the commodity of sex is something women can always have the power over men who think that the pussy is so, that mysterious garden of Eden or evil. Mm-hmm. But the bigger issue is this. There is incredible injustice. There is incredible inequality. There, uh, what we're talking about in Hollywood is not some maniac breaking into your house in the middle of the night with a gun to your head. Right. That, yeah. there, I mean, there is no excuse for this. And again, it's a power thing, it's not a sex thing. But there is no excuse for real uh, incest, molestation, rape, violence against women at all. However, all this groping nonsense, and I mean, this is just such folly, and it insults people that have really been wounded, mm-hmm. and it and it, and it, and yeah. it devalues the issue. Now, but again, we got to discuss. But it's the spectrum. I don't like that everything's all in one. Like a, that, a cat call is the same as Harvey Weinstein, you know, Slimestein, as I call him. Uh, you know, forcing his dick in your mouth. Yeah. The issue has to come out, but the brush stroke is too wide right now. Yeah. You know, and I mean, who sits in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? A fucking pervert. Right. Why aren't they going after him? Or, I mean, maybe that, that should go after him next, you know? Well, they try, but I, for well, some reason, the guy is... <laughs> Teflon, is like Teflon. His, Teflon like his hero. Teflon Don. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. For some reason, whatever he does is yeah. fine. Yeah. And his and his accolades. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm doing a little piece about how much like Trump I am. Only he doesn't go as far as I do. I mean, he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. I was born with a stick on my ass. He wants mm-hmm. to build a wall around Mexico. I want to wall him in. Yeah. He doesn't like immigrants unless he marries them. Hello. So I'm gonna do a little Trump thing on Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll throw that one down a bit. Yeah, check that out on Monday. You know, I mean, I've, the thing is, you know, I've been pounding the wardrobe for so long mm-hmm. that I'm, you know, this is why I took to photography and I have a 
series of photographs called The War Is Never Over because I've just been pounding at that same pipeline for so long. And you know, sure, you heard it, but I have to always find new ways in which to voice the fact that to me, it's always been war all the time. It's always been apocalypse now. It's always been the imbalance of power. It's always been the imbalance in relationships that I've been haranguing about in every fucking way possible that I could. And finally, I had to take up photography to have another language to express that. Yeah. Is that going to be part of the documentary? Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I've, I've done some, I've had some art shows in Europe, and I had a big retrospective here uh, at Howell Gallery two years ago. But I started taking photos in New Orleans, and then I took a lot in Pittsburgh, and then I just started using some of my photos as backdrops, and then I started making montages with them. That, oh, thank you very much, that dealt with <laughs> war. I'll send you some so you can see them. Okay. Um, so you have worked in so many different mediums, spoken word, music, photography, film, so many different things. Is there any one thing that you prefer, or is it just whatever you're feeling? Well, it's always spoken word that I prefer. But I mean, I mean, the music is just, you know, the machine gun, as I've said, to the bullets in my words. I mean, I love doing mm -hmm. music, of course. It's easier. And also, it was easier to get booked that way, right? Well, yeah, in the of beginning? course. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I had to start curating spoken word to get it to happen. Because it didn't really, it was between... This it is was, what I want to speak to you It about. was post-beats, it was post-Patty Smith rock and roll poetry, and still the music mm -hmm. is what got her to do that. And there were very few poets, and the spoken word didn't exist, and so I just started doing curating shows at the Pyramid and booking spoken word. And what year was that around? I think 82, when okay. I came back to New York after living in... Maybe 84, when I, I went to Los Angeles for two years, London for two years, and then I came back. And then I just kept, you know, You were doing shows. it in L.A., right? With, like, Jello Biafra and stuff? And I, well, Henry I didn't Rollins. do it. Well, Henry Rollins, I did. I toured with Hubert Salby, Exine Cervanka, Wanda Coleman. Mm -hmm. uh, I booked shows at the Knitting Factory a lot as well when that was here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've always curated. I mean, I'm still, I was curating the Roxy, and I'm, you know, I probably will get a residency to curate at City Vineyard. So I'm always doing that, curating shows. Yeah. And because you, I have to book myself in this country. I do my own booking in America. See, I've got four booking agents. You. I have four booking agents in Europe. I have to book my own shows in America. This is what I love about you, though. You started out with nothing. <laughs> you, I'm still there. Yeah, but you, if you do, when you do, you have a record company. I mean, you make shit happen. Well, I have to. A publishing have to, your books, yeah. your publishing company. Yeah. You make it. Yeah. Well, I have to now. Happen. I just manufacture records for the tours. Mm -hmm. uh, there's not released. You can't. I mean, I have Bandcamp. Mm -hmm. It's easier that way. I work with one record label in Spain that just does um, reissues on vinyl, and I work with one record label in Italy. And um, I have an album coming out called Marquesa next year, which is I did all the psychoambient music, and it's the philosophy of Desaad philosophy, nature versus God, and then my writing that was influenced by him. Oh, thank you very much. And, um, yeah, and, and it's interesting because I'll be reading that at the City Hall in Granada, Spain in April. And France just decided that 120 days, I was born on the same day as the Marquis de Sade, who very much influenced my philosophy. And it's the philosophy, not the sexual excess, which was just really a denouncement of how the bourgeoisie has always acted. Whether Desaad participated in the sex crimes he wrote about, that's what the bourgeoisie did and it's what they still do. Children are still kidnapped off the street and put into sex cults mm -hmm. and traded and sold. Yep. And if you don't know the, the documentary on Netflix called Who Took Johnny, please watch it. Mm -hmm. okay. It happens all the time. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's coming out. and uh, so, But mostly when I go on tour, I just manufacture my own CDs. Yeah, I mean this whole this whole survival mentality you have Hustle. and and hustling and, yeah, creating your own work constantly. You're prolific, and you put it out there any way you Ridiculously can. You get prolific. it out there. Oh, well. But I'm just saying, there's so much. There's so many people out there that are like, oh, I can't get published. Oh, well, I'll I mean, look, I mean, it's, I'm dealing. You know, I mean, how I wrote Paradoxia was a label creation, a British label bugged me for a few years. I'm like, if you come up with a certain amount of money, which wasn't that much, to give me the time to write it, then I can write a book. Mm -hmm. And I wrote it in three months. And wow. then I, it's been published in eight languages. And it, and Akash, it keeps it in print. Yeah. But and, I mean, you've written like film scripts in three weeks. And you know, well, yeah, well you, three you, weeks is, is you know, <laughs> you my, maximum sleep. my maximum attention span for books, though. Yeah. 
and film scripts. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, once I start, it's on. I'm not always saying I'm going to start this minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but once I start, it's on. Then you become like obsessed. Like well, obsessive. I wouldn't call. I don't know. I don't think I'm obsessive at all. I think I'm disciplined. Yeah. I mean, when I'm writing a book, for instance, I'll just but choose there's... three hours a day. Paradox, I wrote from six a.m. to nine a.m. And then I could do my other work, whatever that is. Yeah, look, scrambling for shows. So, um, you know, but with lyrics, it's like when the first line comes, 10 minutes later, the song is written. When I compose psychoambient music, it's very automatic. I mean, I use samples from my friend's music, or I have very, I have a very small archive of music. I don't collect CDs or records. I don't even have a CD player. So how I create the psychoambient music is like, automatic writing with music. It's like an idiot savant with it, I don't know. But it's, mm-hmm. it's a psycho, it's psychoambient. It's not like I'm writing songs, songs, quote unquote. So uh, yeah, I mean, no, I don't feel I'm obsessed. I'm not obsessive compulsive. I like to lie in bed a lot. Mm-hmm. I like to do nothing a lot. I love to watch TV a lot. Oh yes, Mind Hunter at the moment. I mean, I love forensics. Um, I have to start so, that show. Yeah, me too. What's that? I have to start yeah. that show. But um, but I mean, it's just when I am gonna work, it's it's hardcore. I'm committed to it. Mm-hmm. I'm not you know, f- slobbing around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you came to New York, at what? How old were you when you came from Rochester? You grew up in Rochester. 16, yeah. um, Four kids, right? You were the middle child, yeah. and you got the hell out of there. Oh yeah, I did. As soon as you could, and you came to the city. What was yeah, that I came, like? I with ran nothing, away when right? I was thirteen, just to see what it was like. You came here by yourself at thirteen. Oh no, I came with a girl from across the street. Okay. And we stayed at her cousin, who was a pot dealer. I'm a Dougal and Bleecker, which was a no man's zone at that time. Her father gave us a ride to the Grand Station. I snuck out my bedroom window. And I'm like, okay, I better go get some money because I didn't want to suck dick in a fucking shoe store. All right? So I went back to upstate. That's my new motto. <laughs> Hand jobs under the table is one thing. Second cock in the shoe store, I wasn't going to do it. So I went back and I worked as a, I was underage, but I got a fake ID and worked as a maid in a in an airline hotel and stole everything I could and then snuck out my bedroom window again at 16 and uh, with $200, which was a lot of money in those days. And went to this club I'd read about called Mothers on 23rd Street. And there was... At the time, Wayne, now Jane County, who I'd written to uh-huh. at one point, and they wrote wow. me back. That's what oh, people wow. used to do that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, people you know, used to do that. Yeah. There's a friend. Oh, yeah. Wayne, you know, Wayne, before yeah. it was Jane. There was a terrible band playing. I picked up the lead singer. They had a loft a few blocks away, and I just sleezed on in. It's 16. Oh, yeah. Yeah. G-S-T-L-E-R. That's that. My father was a door to door salesman. I learned a lot of tricks from him. Uh huh. I'm a city to city salesman. But you did a lot of, like, you know, squatting and stuff, right? Well, of course. I mean, I'm, I, I move into somebody's house, I'm not fucking leaving. Right. Oh, and also Kitty Bruce, Lenny Bruce's daughter, was moving out, and I moved into her space, and I'm like, goodbye. You know, screwed him once, said goodbye, and the rest of the hippies there said she can stay. And it was a few blocks away from Max's Kansas City, and that's how it all began. Yeah, I mean, but you're by yourself, really. In I didn't fucking care. It was better than being with my family. <laughs> no, I know, but this is what I... This I is had what no I fear. admire. I've you had, I had are no fearless. Fear. I had no fear. Completely fearless. Never had fear. Never had fear. I had fear for 20 seconds in my life. Literally 20 seconds. Somebody was kneeling on my shoulders with a buck knife this big in my on my against my neck in the desert. Other than that, I've never had fear. Just didn't have fear. And that I, is what well, prevents me from being a victim. I don't have the mark of a victim. I've been kicked out of more cars than people would let me ride in from hitchhiking. So because they knew I had the mace and the buck knife, <laughs> well, they could feel it. Are you afraid of death at all? Like you no. were? Why? Well, Explain because I was running to towards it, and it never caught me. But I know it will. Maybe See, because this I was, is my, this I was is born, my fear. I want to know. I was born surrounded by death. My there was a miscarriage before, after, and I had a dead male twin with me. So maybe because you I did? Was, mm-hmm. maybe because I was surrounded by death, I just never feared it. It's going to happen. As a matter of fact, I was, you know, very romantic about it for a long time. Yeah. Men would scream at me from the other room to stop sending ugly thoughts into their head. I have a very forensic psychology. Mm-hmm. 
So you kind of like or you know, dangling the carrot. With well, I mean, I was, but there comes yeah. a point where, like, uh, you know, and I, uh, there comes a point, and then it's the last chapter in Paradoxia where I talk about this, where, you know, you can taunt in death all you want, but eventually it will fucking catch you. So there comes a point where you just better back off, Boogaloo, and go, okay, okay, all right, okay. All right, okay, okay. But do you fear it at that point, oh. or do you just accept it? Oh. How can you fear it? We've been dead hundreds of times. I don't know. I do. And you also had an admiration for people who actually committed suicide. Well, I have to say, it's, it. it's their prerogative. If you really can't take it anymore, get out. Yeah. I mean, I have more respect for people that commit suicide than those that commit murder, although I'm obsessed with shows about murderers. But, I mean, if, if it's so unbearable... And there are things that can become unbearable. Pain can become unbearable. I mean, I've had so much incredible physical pain on and off. Yes, it's made me think, oh, I can't take it. But yes, I can take it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, pain usually comes and goes. Death is forever. Let's just put it that way. You know. Well, mm-hmm. maybe it's forever. Yeah, we don't know. Well, for sure. You know, reincarnation to me is just molecular memory, memory of the DNA, our bloodlines, which are polluted with the crimes of all history. So. Yeah. I've been here before. Yeah. <laughs> I hope to not come back. Well, I mean, I love it. I, I love, I love this time because it's exactly everything I've always said it was. It's insane. Yeah. It's, it's, a lo- it's, it's, it's a loony bin. It's ridiculous. How can we be at this point in history and be this fucking stupid? How many times do I have to say, same as it ever was? Haven't we learned anything from the past? Have we all just devolved into Orwell's memory hole? So actually, history has caught up to my philosophy. (laughs) But it's also, you know, in the 70s, it was, you were in a sewer. You lived in a sewer. You knew it. it, Everything was as it was. Now it's just so... Well, it's been painted over. Polished. Yeah. And, and they did polish a turd. That would be new. They enough. polished the turd. Yeah. <laughs> and it took them 20-some Well, and it's the privilege of being white and spoiled is that we don't have to see how the rest of the world is really suffering. Mm-hmm. We don't have to really see the megalomaniacal abuse of men the world over. We don't really have to see how hard it is for people of color in other countries uh, to live daily, forever, whether they've been, uh, you know, from colonialization or American, American imperialism, which is, uh, you know, so we're very lucky. We're very lucky to live where we do. And it doesn't matter how hard anybody thinks they have it in this country. And look, I grew up in poverty, and people don't realize how much poverty there is in this country. And certainly, I mean, I'm still fucking poor. Look, I like to work, of course. I've been homeless many times in my adult life. I was homeless for four years. I was a nomadic until a year ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? Yeah. Are you kidding? <laughs> Please. Where were you? Going from here to Louisville, L.A., Florida, Europe, touring, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the reasons I couldn't decide where I wanted to live, because I could live anywhere, and I, mean, I lived in Pittsburgh for four years. I lived in New Orleans, but... Mm-hmm. And it's not... I mean, I've moved for many reasons. I mean, I knew one person when I moved to New Orleans. I didn't know anybody in Pittsburgh. I took a survey at one. Um, I don't need to live where my friends or the action is because my action is always in Europe. But, um, I mean, I'm living here now because I want to work with Retrovirus, I want to work with Weasel Walter, and I think New York needs a good kick in the fucking teeth. Amen. Yeah, please stay. Hallelujah. Well, I'm yeah. staying. I just signed my lease again. Awesome. My landlady is 104 <laughs> now. Wow. That's and great. her daughter, who's 70 with a 50-year-old son, lives below, lives below me. It's like Requiem for a Dream. It's wow. amazing. Wow. It's amazing. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's good. And oh, you, yeah. And you go on the road. Constantly a lot. on the road, yeah, constantly. Yeah. At least, yeah, I mean, well, as much as I can. Like yeah. I said, you know, I've got a book of U.S. shows. I've got other books. I mean, right now, so... For instance, what's coming up is I'll do some shows with my three-piece female improv group called Medusa's Bed. It's an Austrian violinist, uh, Pakistani bass player and sound artist. I play some guitar, and it's like radio drama vocals like this. Do you remember where we met? Well, there was talk, but there was no blood on our hands. And the music is very much like quiet horror music music and it has video projections and uh, then I do brutal measures with Weasel Walter and that's drums and vocals like a tag team and I'll be after Medusa's bed we only usually play east of Berlin 
So it's like improv? The, you Medusa's, and Weasel? Well, and Weasel and I are, well, I know what I'm going to say, but Weasel's improv between my pieces. Okay. And he doesn't know exactly what I'm going to say. Uh-huh. You know, it's, Nobody does. <laughs> I always know what I'm going to say. But it's, you know, there is room for freestyling. So at City Winery, at City Vineyard Yard next week, I probably will do more story type things instead of poetics. I'm going to send you a download. You can go to my band camp and hear Brutal Measures. And Weasel will probably bookend me. And also on the bill is Umar bin Hassan of The Last Poets, who did This Is Madness, which basically started hip-hop and rap. He's on the bill. I put him on the bill. Oh, wow. That's yeah. yeah, very cool. And Sylvia Black, who's this incredible black uh, jazz noir singer who I'm working on an album with called Sex Crimes, just even the score. Uh-huh. Very jazz noir. Uh-huh. And uh, and then, you know, I'll go to, in April to do this, uh, my Marquesa album in Spain, and then Retrovirus goes on tour in Canada, and then we probably go to Australia. So, I mean, it's always different things I'm doing, which keeps yeah. it interesting. It's, I, I, I mean, it's the, you know, do it yourself, you know. Well, I have help in Europe. To yeah, survive. Here I have to do it myself. To I have other people I mean, to support as well, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, just... Just you coming here with nothing to New York and... 40 years and, later, I'm four blocks away with basically nothing, yeah. but I'm doing what I do and I've done But you're an icon. I mean, well, as I, much as you may you, hate that I don't word. get up in the morning and look in the mirror and go, my God, you're a fucking icon. I'm like, I Jesus, know. you didn't wash your face again last yeah. night. <laughs> I never wash my face. That's why my skin is so good. Is that why? Well, I never wash my face. Except for when you put more makeup on. Yeah. It's Max Factor pan stick. It's very because thick your and face. I told you when you walked in. I just turned fifty. It's amazing. So don't wash your face. That's the key. I don't like, look. I'm not saying smoking, drinking, drugs, sex, and not washing your face is going to work for you. But yeah. I don't work for you. <laughs> That's not my recipe. Yeah. But I eat really good food. You know, I wrote a cookbook. I know. When is is that out? It's out. Yeah. yeah. It's called The Need to Feed. You got to eat good food. Well, that's how you got your nickname, so right? So I got my name, I mean, Stealing Food for People. Lunch, Stealing Food for, what, the Dead Boys? No, for Mintaville. Ah. <laughs> we were all starving. I mean. Yeah. What a time, though, right? I mean. Yeah. It, it was, was exciting and also horrifying, probably, right? I was never scared. No. So you don't I think the fear. worst thing that happened was, or the creepiest, was I was walking back from CBGB's one night, like, I don't know, 78. And I was staying on, like, 2nd and C. And some guy goes, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. Hey, hey, do you want to fuck my dog? I'm like, you fuck your fucking dog, you asshole. Do you want to fuck my dog? Which I repeated again. <laughs> you fuck it. Well, it's just off. Well, right. Yeah, yeah, how Sorry, much, right? How much? How much for fucking yeah. a dog? You fucking ass clown. Get in line. Fuck your dog. Be better than fucking you, you fucking cunt. Uh, what, so he could watch you fuck his dog? I have no idea. Did I didn't engage. Oh, he shrunk Did after that. Did go down the road? Oh, it shrunk after that. He scurried off with his dog's tail between his legs. <laughs> oh, but like facing that shit on the streets all the time. Well, the thing is, and let me tell you, in, in that period of New York... There was a lot of harassment on the street. It was Serpico, right? I mean... Yes. Every 10 feet, you would get harassed, okay? Mm -hmm. You would get catcalled. And look, I'm pretty sassy. I'm a great heckler. You can't out-heckle me. But that was not... You couldn't be a professional verbal boxer because it's too tiring. So I found out very very quickly the way to deal with it was humor. Because if they're catcalling you, they just want attention. So, for instance, I was living up in Spanish Harlem for a while. And... um, Two things. There was Cindy Lauper, and I had red hair. Because we, I don't want to be called fucking Cindy Lauper, although much respect, whatever. And baby got back. All right. So these were two constant harassments. I, and I would just go, yo, Manudo, that's right. Cindy Lauper, baby got back. And they would just <laughs> laugh, and I would go on. Everybody was happy. I made a joke at their expense. They got a little of attention. I never got hassled. It was never more yeah. than that. Yeah. Instead of, fuck you. Yes. No, fuck you, bitch. No, yeah. no, 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 no. It was always like, yeah, baby, you look good, too. Hey, yeah, I wish I had the time. Can I see you later? Yo, mama, are you married? About five or six times, and I don't think you want to be next. That guy, you know, you deal with it with humor. Everybody. I wish I had the time. That's yeah. a good one. That's good. That's smart. I mean, because you're not wasting your energy getting pissed off. Yeah. For no reason. I had bigger issues to be pissed off. We were constantly pissed off. Of course. Well, I had bigger issues to be pissed off than some idiot on the street who can't keep his mouth shut. Uh 
Right. My issues were bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, the same, and this is weird, I'm just throwing this in as a sideline. I never get mad at it. I have no enemies. I mean, people might hate me, of course, whatever. I don't, all my enemies are dead, first of all. Uh, it was convenient. I, I, I was discussing this with someone the other day. I'm like, in my house, it's not only because I sound like Tom Waits, I whisper. People come over, I'm like, my, the word I say most often is volume. I'll get the duct tape out. Okay. I've never screamed at anybody. I never get mad at anybody. I know, I'm like, you want to be an asshole? Go ahead, see you later. I allow, I don't judge, be a fucking asshole. Go ahead. I've never gotten into screaming fits with anybody. I've never thrown a plate in anger. Now, I might throw something at you and mean it, but it wouldn't be out of just fury or rage. Now, isn't that interesting? Because mm-hmm. I have a place, a vehicle for my, and my rage is bigger than one person bothering me. Mm-hmm. You want to be a fucking dick? Go ahead, baby, be a yeah. dick. i putting up with it. Yeah. That easy. Yeah. That simple. So I have to conserve my energy. I have immense amount of energy, but it's because I conserve it. Not wasting it, I'm not sweating the small shit. Yeah. And you, you also do workshops of teaching people how to well, put it spoken on the stage. Word. Yes, it's called From the Page to the Stage. So, you know, most women write, come on. We have journals, yeah. we have diaries. Mm-hmm. And not everybody <coughs> wants to get on the stage, and I'm not saying they should, but how about maybe you might have to give a speech. Maybe it's just at a funeral you have to give some. I'll talk about my funeral record in a minute. So um, I give workshops where, for instance, it's just basic stuff. Like if you've never been on a stage before, few things. You don't want to, what if you can't print that small? You got to print big enough. You got to know where they're going to hold it, have a, have a music stand. How do you handle a microphone? Really kindergarten, but if you've never done it, that could be, that could end, that could be, you could yeah. be horrified yeah. the minute you get up there. Mm-hmm. How to just take the, get your poise. And also, you've got the control, you've got the microphone. And it's been very effective. And uh, so I've done that in a few places. I've done it in Sweden. I had three shows, ran France. I did it in New York, Ohio, California. I'm going to do another one in New York, maybe over the summer. And I like to do it for women only because we have no sports. We have no war. We can at least have a coven. Mm-hmm. I just released an album called Eulogy. And with this group that was from Louisville, Kentucky, called Family uh, Phantom Halo, which was on the first retrovirus tour. And one day I said to the lead singer, my God, you look really good. You look like an undertaker. He said, my wife is. I'm like, wait a minute. I always wanted to do an album that was like songs to the dead and dying of the past, but not like, not depressive, not goth, not forlorn, but just prayers to the dead and dying. And he said, my wife is a mortician. And she's a beautiful, blonde, Scandinavian, happy lady. And the other guy in the band always plays in church, and his wife is a theologian. And the drummer of the band's whole family were grave diggers. I'm like, all right. And the first person that took the photographs, Jasmine Hurst, who does a lot of my photos and videos, is a really amazing psychic. And then we took the photos at an occultist house. And in this album, I should have brought you one, but I will. I'm a few blocks away. There's a, a funeral program where why wait till you're dead to celebrate your life? Why not plan your funeral now? I'm a minister in the Universal Life Church. I can do funerals, baptisms, and weddings. So you have a funeral program you can fill out for your... I want you to do my funeral. We should plan it soon because you never know. Yeah. But fearing death, right. you know, you might try to run from it, but it will catch you. I think I, I feared it more early on of when course. we first moved to New York. And you get that fear like you're going to die before you make it. I when think did you move here? In, I don't know, 92. Okay. From yeah. Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, from a trailer the in the mountains. More what like part of trailer it? trash. Uniontown. Where? Uniontown. Yeah. And I live on Union Street. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Union. Um, yeah, so, you know, we... Uh, I love Pennsylvania. We we didn't. Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> you were from there. Of course you Yeah. <laughs> We had to get the fuck out. Well, it's we where could. I wrote Paradoxia, and it's where I did a lot of photography. I mean, Pittsburgh is cool, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I know. Pennsylvania is not one thing. It's, yeah. it's every place is yeah, different. Yeah. I don't like Philly, actually. I much prefer Pittsburgh. Yeah, me too. You know, Philly has a real dead vibe. It's it's not, not, not good there now. But we used to, like, steal cars to come up to New York Excellent. just to see it, just to see the city, just right. to feel and like there's something home. else and drive right back, you know, and it was... Go home to the trailer park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so... Um, just to know it was still there. But we had each other. Right. You know, we're, uh-huh. we're twins. Right, right. And so... Yeah, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah, that's why that's I'm... amazing. We're, um, 
you know, kind of really interested in my dead twin. Well, let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Interested in your dead twin and also interested in the fact that you did all this shit on your own. Well, maybe my dead twin is helping me do it. That's what I'm thinking. It was recent. It was only recently. I mean, why did it take me till this long that I never imagined what my brother looked like, but, and I have twins in my family cousins, but I always knew he couldn't have lived. And if it was going to be him or me, it had to be me. So recently, you know, it, when you go back and refresh yourself on death by a thousand cuts and won't work for drugs, and all the pain I've had since the age of three, spinal taps, E. coli poisoning, uh, cartilage ligament operation, lymph nodes removed, appendix removed, ectopic pregnancy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I recently thought, is that my brother? Like, trying to murder me because I... Did I consume or murder him? So I'm at a acupuncturist. So my latest problem, because I, I never get a cold, I never get a flu, I'm always really healthy, but I get catastrophic problems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's every few years, something catastrophic. And lately, for a few years, I've had a really bad back pain. Comes and goes, but honestly, it's horrible. But it was from a car accident I had when I was 14. That's like more than 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, did my brother put his foot on the accelerator? get me to crash into that fucking tree? Was he trying to kill me? All right. So I'm at an acupuncturist who's kind of psychic and wacky anyway. And I had asked him if he'd ever had this, and I'd had this experience a few times, and it's very strange, and I wasn't high, I wasn't tripping, I wasn't even sleeping, where my eyes were closed, but under my eyelids, I saw my own face looking into my eyeballs. Oh, no. Like, oh, what the fuck? Okay, mm-hmm. weird. I'm at the acupuncturist trying to deal with my back. And we see like this beautiful child, teenage boy, adolescent, a monster, like under my eyelids, like Otis Tool, like a serial killer. And he's turning his face like he wants me to say something, then he's turning his face the other way like he wants me to tell him something. And then I bolt up and the acupuncturist comes in and he's like looking for the needle that was in my head. He can't find, he can't find the needle, he goes, no. I'm like, Look in that far corner. It had popped out of my head. Now, needles going into the head yeah, yeah. pretty deep. I'm like, well, I just saw my brother, and he was a monster. So, but you, typically, people that have a twin that pass, they feel like this, you know, affinity. They feel this camaraderie. Well, I life, feel... And you feel that it's... Me so, or him, and yeah. also... I mean, but I feel very male. It's your survival, though. And I feel very male. I mean, I feel like I did consume his male traits. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't like to divide traits into gender, but I do feel very masculine. I can be very aggressive. I'm very upfront. I don't take any bullshit. Um, You know, my alter ego is called Big Lou, and he is a motherfucker, and that could have been my brother. I don't know. But when he comes out, as Weasel once said, Everybody runs from the party because they, they would rather commit suicide than get murdered. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> big Lou. Yeah, Big Lou. <laughs> wow. So what do you attribute, like, your... The way you transformed your trauma growing up, and okay. probably throughout your whole life, you've been traumatized, I'm sure, over and over well, and over again. Well, I mean, I saw you as a victim, as, as, I don't like the word victim, but as a survivor of abuse or trauma I mean sometimes you're in that pattern of victimology where you go into the same pattern and I've always from a very early age been trying to break that pattern but still I'm attracted to psychopaths being one myself yeah but you always churn out work though yes and also and also and also there's first of all I've never been domestically abused in a relationship even though I've been with a few psychos but before a man turns into a psycho there's a beautiful child that's been battered and that's what I always saw how do we get back? Yeah, how, how are you able... It seems like you are able, you have a gift for being able to separate yourself from a situation yes. and see it from Right, above. a bigger perspective. You have always had that gift. By the way you're talking, by the way I see your career has I, went, gone. I don't and know. How, it's just... how are you able to do that? Would you ever say... Do you that... see my saintly position? I have no <laughs> idea. It's just the way I am. It's not... There's no but that's a gift. It that, is a gift. That, well, hence why. Look, I don't you think I. I, I mean, no, I would. I, I wish there were more women doing spoken word. I wish I could pass the torch. But no, I mean, I said at twenty, I would be the oldest living woman of rage. 
and you, yeah. And I mean, it's, is it really, I mean, but again, You're like our Nostradamus. That's the no wave Nostradamus. That's what I call myself. Do you? Yes. Okay. Or Godzilla on a good occasion. I liked your evangelical. Evangelical, yes. And I'm writing a book by Confucius, 1,000 pages, all numbered one, one line each. Like I never met a man I couldn't kill. God, thank God. I mean, I guess, too, the thing is, you know, most people, they don't, they have failed to see my humor because it's so black. I'm always laughing hysterically. Oh, I mean, reading your book, the the, the lithium enema and all that shit you say, I'm well, like, I mean, I'm I writing it down. Pretty and I'm, damn funny. Yeah. But people, I don't allow the punchline and then people are nervous to laugh. I'm like, don't be afraid to fucking laugh. I'm not going to attack you. But you don't like stop it. and wait for the laugh. You no, don't stop. No, You're no. going. You're just I going am. full speed yeah. ahead. Stream of consciousness. Yeah. Well, it seems like that, but it's all written down. So it seems yeah. like stream of consciousness. Um, it seems effortless. and It's co- because I write conversationally. Because I write for the stage. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even my books sound conversational. Um, do you, do you do. write every day? No. God, No. <sighs> Why? Okay, listen, I'm going to talk to you about this. I talk every day. Is that not enough? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a writer, and I, I feel really bad because people are constantly tweeting about their word counts and all First this. of all, I don't tweet. I don't don't do, wait for the I news. I don't do Facebook. And I have somebody run my Facebook. I don't care about comments on a fucking, like, graffiti on a bathroom wall. I don't respond to Facebook. I have somebody who's using it as a billboard. I don't tweet. I'm waiting for Twitter. It's, I don't have time for that shit. I don't engage, engage in social media. I'm too busy doing what I do, but go ahead. What? But don't you think that would be a, a platform for you? I don't give be- a shit. Yes, it's a convenient platard. Yes, where every celebutard, where every fucking celebutard who thinks they have a reason to exist in the social and a media concept, who wants to air their dirty fucking laundry as if they're so fucking important, I have to send you this piece about the existential vacuum, and you know, kiss my ass, Kim Kardashian, with your fucking selfies. I hate you, and I hate your fucking selfies too. Yeah. Because you've made no talent and cosmetic surgery a thing to be worshipped. Mm-hmm. Fuck off. Yeah, yeah, but Jesus, if you, you know, I mean, go back to your issue. People tweet what you were saying. You know about word counts. What word counts, and you know you can't wait for the muse and all this. Look, knowing a lot of writers and having booked a lot of spoken word shows, everybody has a different method. For instance, Mm -hmm. some people I know. When I met Jerry Stahl, for instance, who I've often performed with, we wrote Permanent Midnight. It was a movie made by Ben Stiller. And he's one of those I love hilarious. that movie. We took our mother to that movie. We thought it was a comedy. It is. Well, well not but for Jerry our Stahl, didn't think Jerry so. Stahl is one of the funniest writers. He says everything about himself a man would never it's want to say. It's a comedy in the way that you're a It's comedian. comedy horror. Yeah. It's comedy of terror. Right. <laughs> and when I met Jerry Stahl, I moved to, I moved to L.A. because after... Um, Pittsburgh, I guess it was, yeah. Because Hubert Selby was still alive, and Jerry and I had met Jerry Stahl, and I wanted to work with both of them. And um, Jerry Stahl had seven unpublished books when I met him. I mean, I would die. I don't have seven unpublished poems. I, I do. I have poems that are unpublished, but I don't have seven unpublished songs. I'd be like, ugh. <laughs> then he wrote the most watched episode of CSI. Now he still can't get a book deal. I mean, it's like he's written movies. And it's like, so him and Selby, Hubert Selby, who was not recognized, even in his death, Selby wasn't recognized. He wrote Last Exit to Brooklyn, Requiem for a Dream, um, The Room, The Demon, you know, one of the greatest American writers who at 15, dying of tuberculosis, in a hospital bed after joining the Navy, writes Last Exit to Brooklyn twice, takes him seven years. The Room took six months. These were my bookmarks of how not to be jaded. Here's one of my favorite writers living in a bachelor pad as an accountant who nobody gives a shit about, Hubert Selby, who I knocked on his door and then took him on tour the first time he ever got paid for reading. And Jerry Stahl, whose career has been like this, who I still read with and constantly book. I just did a show in L.A. with him. And I'm like, this is the parameter that I understand. Like... Most of my literary heroes, Henry Miller sold pornography for a dollar a page. You know, give me a break. It's like, this is, how many geniuses are rich? How many idiots are rich? Hello. 
how dumb do you have to be as well? Well, how do you say. how do you keep going knowing that stubbornness? You... Because it's not about the money. It's like some we've been homeless. So I've got friends. They'll always take me in. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's not about the money. It's like people go, how do? Why didn't you? Say, what am I? Oh, somebody's gonna want to buy into me. Like, why didn't I sell out? Excuse me. You see the look on my fucking face? They know they can't pervert this, corrupt it, use it. Mm-hmm. What am I gonna sell? Courtney. Understand what I'm saying? Yeah. A train wreck crashing into a bank, honey. Oh yeah. All right. Enough said. Enough said. How talentless do you have to be? How much has she done? Mm -hmm. She can afford the publicist. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna say any more parentheses. Well, um, no, I've only had one run-in with her, and that was well, that was enough. in a bathroom. Yeah, that's enough. <laughs> yeah. You should have flushed her down the toilet. <laughs> she made it. me fix her. She well, she asked me to fix her bra, and she was like, "Don't touch my tattoo. I just got it." And I no. said, "I don't want to fucking touch your tattoo. Believe Scab me." Scab queen. <laughs> yeah. So, but she's still, I think I would she's like still a out there. Yeah. 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 She's for still what, out there. For what though? Playing. Yeah. I haven't seen her play the mother of the Menendez brothers, my heroes. Because they murdered the real perpetrators. But, um, how yeah. little do you have to do? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of the people that I came up before or with, I know how they got as successful as they did, and that's by basically doing the same thing over and over for 20 years. I'm not going to do the same thing for 20 weeks. Yeah. How do you commodify that? Yeah. You can't. The truth is not a popular commodity. Everything I write, I mean, I. I think in one word for drugs, I have maybe one or one fiction piece. People think the fiction piece is the truth. I'm like, yeah. are you fucking stupid? I've told the truth long enough. Can I ask? The start of a script, wasn't it? it well, was no, treatment? no, that's that's also true. It is. <laughs> oh wow. Canasta is the one I that's that was false. The fiction. Canasta, but um, yeah, yeah, what was the point here? Yeah, I'll read that one again. How long do you have to stick with, I mean... Well, that's the issue, and that's why, I mean, you know, I was very lucky when I first, like in the early 80s, when, you know, when I had my record label, and I would convince these independent record labels to give me a small advance to put out records that I know nobody wanted to buy, but I was able to document them, and that was always my point from the age of 17. I have everything documented, and I own everything I've ever done. I own it. Nobody can say that. Yeah. I own it. I was just hanging out with Danita Sparks of L7, who I adore, and because um, she just made a documentary. I made it about L7, and she's like, yeah, well, they were on Sub Pop, and they were on Kill Rock Stars. They gave them their music back, but of course Warner Brothers won't, you know, can't use that music. Yeah. I'm like, how did everybody... Yeah. I mean, and of course, I mean, it's it's you got to balance it out. First of all, nobody wanted to buy my music, and second of all, they sold it out, and now they don't own it. Mm-hmm. I own everything, so I'm trying to sell my archives, which are immense. Yeah. Where Amazing. would you? Where Where do you see? Well, no, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, really, I would like some IT person to step up. Who's got a lot of money and vanity and wants to do like a digital museum where everything is free and people could just go. Nineteen eighty four spoken word. What was she doing? Mm-hmm. And I have you know correspondence. I have photographs, photographs I've taken, which I've taken photographs since nineteen ninety. Photographs of me, correspondence from people, stuff printed out. You know, Ty wrote Paradox on a typewriter, even though I had a computer. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got uh, I have my whole uh, cat of archives articulated. It's all it's in Greenpoint in a storage space, and I want to. I'm trying to, you know, trying to sell it, and and it's. Diff- I mean, I talk to some universities, but what I don't like is then it's like in a mausoleum where you have to have an appointment to see it. Mm-hmm. You know, and NYU sucks. You know, one of my favorite artists, David Warnerowitz. Uh, it's like he's they have gray boxes of his. St- I mean, oh, fuck off. Yeah. So I mean, it's 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 uh, this year I'm starting to look again to sell it. You know, and uh, I'll find the right place, but it might be in Europe, which to me, the most important thing is online so that people can see the trajectory. And as somebody in Romania could go, what was going on in 92? Right. There's this incredible guy who does this site. It's called From the Archives. And he does Neubauten, birthday party, myself, maybe five people. And he li- sometimes I have to refer to his site about things I've done because he's... I've asked him, can I send you stuff? He's like, no. He has posters I've never seen. Thank God for people like that, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obsessives. 
Yeah. But I mean, you know, I, I think, I mean, my, first of all, back to what I was saying, I knew from very early on I had to document everything, and I did. And then I still own it. So I would farm it out, get it back, farm it out, get it back, which was great. And, you know, able to put out really abstract things or put out albums by poets like Wanda Coleman, who, you know, was published by the same label that publishes Bukowski. She was an African-American poet who I toured with. Um, Vanessa Sconce, who did this incredible record called Pariah, Spoken Word. So, uh, you know, uh, an instrumental record, The Drowning of Lucy Hamilton, where I play piano, and Connie Berger, the band Mars, plays. We both play guitar and bass clarinet. So I was able to do really obscure things, but now I own them, and they're on Bandcamp, and you can hear them for fucking free, which is great. Mm -hmm. I never expected to get money from the music. Mm -hmm. I get money from the live shows. Mm -hmm. Why am I going to get money from the music? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did Desaad, you know what Desaad got? You know what got? 17 years in fucking prison. I've avoided prison because I'm a little smarter than he was. But again, you're ahead of your time because people aren't getting paid for their music anymore. They're going out and getting their live shows. I mean, they're getting some, but not, they can't make a living anymore. Well, and, and look, they don't want my job because I work from 9 to 5. That is 9 to 5 a.m. 9 a.m. Yeah. to 5 a.m. Yeah. Right. You're a hustler. H-U-S-T-L-E-R. Yep. That's what I do. And that's why we love you. And that's why I love myself. <laughs> <laughs> so we ask um, at the end of this sh uh, episodes um, for your um, strange woman throwback. A woman that kind of you looked to and said, oh, you know, maybe I can... Mary Daly, who was a writer who hated religion so much she studied it and wrote books like called Gyne Ecology, Pure Lust, and she reclaims the origin of language. Uh, and also there's two, Mary Daly, that would be D-A-L-Y, and Madeline Murray O'Hare, who there's an amazing interview with her in Playboy magazine in like 69. She's the one who got rid of prayer in school. She was considered the most hated woman in America. And she actually was chased from state to state, ended up in Hawaii, then ended up in Las Vegas and was found murdered in the desert by one of her assistants who stole whatever money she had. But she, you know, it was supposed to be separation of church and state. Well, she got rid of prayer in school. So between Mary Daly, and I really recommend her books because she reclaims the origin of words like hag, crone, witch, very anti-patriarchal. And her books are very important, and they're not that well-known. I don't know why, because people don't fucking read, maybe. And uh, <laughs> Madeline Murray O'Hare. I mean, those were pretty strong. Because most of my, the, the influence for, for my so-called career has been male writers like Janae, a criminal, uh, Henry Miller, selling pornography for a dollar a day, Selby, uh, dying of tuberculosis almost at 15, and then you know, being an accountant at 60 after he's written four of the best books in America. Um, you know, Desaad in prison for 17 years because he was telling the fucking truth whether he did it or not what he did. Mm -hmm. And really, anybody that has never read Desaad because there's really bad translations, it was Grove Press, who, by the way, published my first book, Adulterous Anonymous, with Exene Cervenka. Grove Press did a lot for anti-censorship in America, like Burroughs and Selby and Desaad. They... America wanted to censor this in the 60s, and, and Grove Press fought against it and won. And they published the best translations of Desaad. And for starters, I recommend my favorite is, which really sums up Desaad's philosophy, and not just the sexual verbosity, is a prayer, a prayer between a man, a prayer between, a dialogue between a priest and a dying man. And this is really his nature versus God conversation. I'm going to send you my Marquesa album. For download, okay. and you can hear. Yeah. One of the pieces I'm doing is women should be machines of voluptuousness. What are we? That's when we own it. Well, thank you. And so nobody controls it. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so glad we're neighbors. Yeah. Ooh. We're hanging out.